Hello and welcome to the First Issue Club podcast. This is an interview episode. We have an awesome interview with Sean Lewis. If you don't know who Sean Lewis is, you are in for a treat. He is one of the most prolific writers on Image, doing some just crazy, crazy stuff. We get into all the books he did and all the new projects that um, he's going to do. And if you do know who Sean is, then you came to the right place, and it will be such a fun conversation. This dude is so interesting, so fun. Um, it was it was just amazing getting to know him, so I'm so pumped for this interview. So um, I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to that interview, I want to just plug a couple of things. Um, it is the coronavirus crisis pandemic. We are all in our houses, and comic books are not coming out every Wednesday. That's what we do on this podcast is we talk about new comic books. So we're going to talk about new comic books, but not the ones coming out on Wednesday. Next week, we are going to read some TKO books because TKO has been doing some really, really cool stuff to promote uh, local comic book shops, and they just do incredible stuff, and their first issues are free on their website. So if you want to read along with us and you want to read the books that we're reading next week, next week we're doing Sentient by Jeff Lemire and Sarah by Garth Ennis. So come jump on. We've uh, we've covered some DKO books on our Patreon um, it's a good plug to just, uh, go check out our Patreon if, if you haven't yet, um, and see all the cool stuff that we're doing there weekly. Um, but if you want to join and read with us in your house and read some of these free books and jump on the TKO train, you definitely should. So, um, I will get out of the way of this awesome interview. Um, check it out. You are going to love it. Um, audio is like, you know, it's home recording audio. It's a little bit of like, we're in different places, but I think once you get into it, it's, it's just captivating. I was like ecstatic after I got off, uh, the interview with him. I I really couldn't contain myself. So it's just me. It's budget King this week. Um, next week we'll return with the whole club and we'll get back it back in the seat of the full throttle comic book experience so thanks a lot check it out hope you like it let's get this interview started hey everybody welcome audience people this is budget king i am doing an interview with sean lewis who we were excited to get on the podcast we recently heard that coyotes was optioned so we reached out to him to see if he would do an interview with us and we've been longtime fans of sean lewis ever um ever since saints and then the few and then a a myriad of other things that he's done and we covered thumbs here and um it's really exciting to have somebody here that's so um, such a prolific writer. And for me personally, I feel like every book that he writes is a book that I'm like, uh, I love that. And <laughs> so um, it's it's really fun to have to have to have Sean here. So we're gonna we're gonna do an interview. We're breaking our format a little bit. Um, Sean, how is uh, how's the COVID uh, crisis going for you? You know, it's a little weird. Where I'm I'm in upstate New York. I'm like in Albany. Um, I mean, outside of not being able to go to restaurants or to the gym, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably irritating for other people to hear that I'm like, my life's not that wildly different. Like, I'm a writer, I work at home, I don't see people a lot. Um, there's, yeah, it's, it's just kind of strange. Like, there's just nobody ever out. It's like being in a ghost town. I talk to a lot of my friends in the city. And for them, it's, it feel it sounds in New York City, it sounds way, way different. Like, they're all wearing masks nonstop. We're starting to see masks and wear them ourselves a little bit more each day, but it's it's just kind of empty. 
Yeah. I, I was lurking on your Twitter and I saw that you posted like a short video that you did with your son. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of like cooped up. And I was like, I resonate with this. I constantly see my three-year-old and like, I'm, I can't see Frozen 2 one more time in my life. Yeah, we had, we had, we had not gotten Disney Plus yet. We were like, uh, we've been trying to control the television and all that which is, I don't know, if you have a kid, you probably understand it's as much of, if not more of a fight, I think between the two people who are married than it is with the kid. Cause we have different, like, I'm just kind of like, I write stories. If he watches them, ah. <laughs> my wife is very much, and I think she's right of not so much. So uh, we finally got Disney plus, but yeah, there's only so much you can do without going outside. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mine's a four-year-old boy. All he wants to do is attack me like all day so like getting some of that energy out is like a necessity I, yeah and it, it's the video that you made was was cool in in that you have trump's voice like kind of he's essentially early like explaining like all this like craziness and in some ways just falsehoods um but then it's like your kid just like running around and, and like doing his thing and i was like this is i'm the audience for this i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I, I want to make a couple of them partially because I just go crazy during the day, and it I, it's hard. It's been hard getting like writing assignments done. Partially, my time is just so contracted because he's he's here all the time now, and and I mean you have a young child like they just want attention nonstop. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so part of it is like I have less time, and then there's also like I just need to do some projects for myself that get me out of my head. So I've been playing with like just using my cell phone to shoot footage of myself and certain neighbors of ours and then playing it against the, the audio of the day. Like um, I've just been kind of curious what that would, I have no idea what it'll be, but I'm like, Oh, that might be really interesting. Like we have a good friend or actually it's a, one of my son's school friends. Cause they don't see each other anymore. Him and his mom, they dress up in costumes and they have like one of those old red flyer wagons with more costumes in it. And they play music and they walk around our town our, our area and they just play music and they dance outside of people's windows to like cheer them up. It's really, it's really adorable and charming. And so I've been like, Oh, I'd love to film them doing it. And then like juxtapose it with like some of like how much of the audio I hear every day is based about like fear and scared and people not trusting their neighbor. And I'm like, and then there's like this woman who's dressed up as a parakeet and her son looks like a giraffe and they're dancing to like Peter Gabriel. It's like insane. It is. Yeah. <laughs> every every recording, every picture is like a time capsule. And yeah. And I even I read an article that was saying like, listen to new music because the music you listen to now is going to be the the thing that like marks this for you emotionally. Oh, that's I have to start doing that. I, that makes so much sense. I would never would have thought about it, which means I will now hate a lot of the things that I really. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So let's get let's get into comics, um, and we'll we'll drift and all of that kind of stuff. So um, the first comic that I knew that that you made was Saints. Is is that that is your first? Yeah, I thought it was going to be the only book, <laughs> to be honest, for multiple reasons. Um, yeah, we got really lucky. I was running a theater company in Iowa City, Iowa. You're in Kansas City, Kansas, or Missouri? Uh, Missouri. Yeah. Good job. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we were. I was running a theater company. I was City, and. Um, we were doing this show that um, I needed. I needed drawings for projections on, and I met I met Ben Mackey, who did the art for Saints, through an acquaintance who was like, "Yeah, he could do the drawings for it. He works really fast." And then he was turning in the drawings, and some of them for the show looked like Silver Age Superman comics. And I asked him about it, and it turned out he had taught himself how to draw through looking at like Catholic drawings. I went to Catholic school, and like 
I used to also, I really got into comics by like stealing my older uncle's uh, preacher issues when I was probably like 10, I feel like, or 11. Like I was pretty, I just remember being young, stealing a lot of his comics. And um, we just started having this idea of like, what if a group of atheists ended, like God left heaven and a group of atheists ended up with like these powers of saints. And it just made us laugh constantly while we were like painting the set. And so we did it. And then we didn't know what to do with it. Um, I did, I didn't know anything about comics or how to work, definitely not how to work in them. And, uh, I just sent a cold email to Eric Stevenson at image. I found his email on the site. I didn't know that's not what you're supposed to do. Um, I did it for a couple of other sites and nobody ever wrote me back. And then, yeah, like six months later, literally I was about to go on stage for a show and I got a call from Eric and he was like, are you the guy who did saints? I was like, yeah. He's like, you want to do the book at image? And I was like, yes. Are you <laughs> yes, yes, we'll do it. We'll do it. And then I had to like enter a play. It was very it was a very surreal experience. So but yeah. So that's like the the thing for me about Saints was um before this podcast existed, it was just a text chain. Like a lot of like, you know, friends have and it was like, what'd you pick up today? Like what excited you about things and, and especially anything image we were texting about. And I I like remember grabbing Saints and just being like, This is beautiful and amazing and minimal and it like it knows design and like the story is captivating to me it like it was so comic literate um and just like understood the format that i was really surprised to find out that's the first comic that you made oh it's the first one ben did too like neither of us had ever done comics and i don't know that ben was a big reader of comics and honestly i'd been away from reading comics for a long time it was really seeing his art and I just started reading Essex County by Jeff Lemire at the time. And I was, and I was falling back in love. I hadn't read comics for a long time and I ripped through Jeff's stuff. And then I found Brian K Vaughn stuff. Like we had a really great library in Iowa city that had an amazing graphic novels collection. And so like on breaks, you know, as me and Ben started talking about it, you know, cause plays take a long time. So we were working together for a while. Um, just on breaks, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go to the library, grab some lunch and pull this book that I should have read a decade ago. Um, and so I think we learned a lot from that. Um, my background had been in playwriting and Ben had a, he was, he's very young. He's still very young, but he had a real obsession with design, you know? And so that was a big influence on how he wanted to approach the pages. And I think for me, I, I was still approaching it a lot like a playwright trying to think of like how the structural arcs would work and pay off sometimes too many issues ahead. (laughs) I've learned since where I'd be like, oh, I'll mention this in page, you know, on issue two. And then by the time we get to seven, we'll mirror that panel. And of course the fans will, will catch it. And some did, some didn't, (laughs) if they were around that long. So it's cool to hear that. Like it was, it was really just a passion project that we, uh, we were doing for fun and we got lucky enough to put out. We were shocked that people were reading it. And then we we knew that, um, and then yeah, we just kind of drove towards the final couple of issues because it was it was a weird book. People very much either loved it or hated it. Um, but we had some really amazing fans who came out in the press, who I think really made some of the other books possible because when no one w- honestly like it didn't sell super well. So like when no one was reading it, we had a lot of like supporters like Steve Fox at Uproxx at that time was doing a lot of comics. Um, and he did like out of nowhere, they Uproxx did this massive, like almost like Grantland long form of just about saints. And it, it definitely, I think helped 
it's hard to go back to a publisher after you have a book, no matter how much they like it, that financially is like a disaster. <laughs> be like, hey, I've got this other book I want to do called The Few, and it's it's going to be 50 pages an issue, and we're going to charge $5 for it, and no one knows who the fuck me and my artist are. <laughs> well, to and, be honest, like, even when, when, when we read Coyotes, I was like, who is this guy? And then, and then like, I was like, oh, fuck, he's the few and the saints guy. Like, that's awesome. Um, and then it was like that to me. Now it's like, oh, wow. Like every book's a hit. Like, you know, I mean, to be honest, when you're doing a bunch like Jeff Lemire, probably one of my favorite authors, sometimes, you know, like, yeah, I know you, I hear you talk about him a lot. Right. Yeah, he's uh, great. And, but it's like, he doesn't hit all home runs, you know, you know, like, sure. and, and it's tough. He does a lot of books that might, I mean, he's, he puts that, he's like the most prolific writer I think there is in all of comedy. I mean, books. he, he, of most of more than most people hits more home runs than most. Like his, his batting oh. average is high. <laughs> he's like a 900 batter. I feel like if he like, and some of them are just like, I love black hammer. So like, there's like, some of them are just so, so good. Um, but I think like one thing I liked about reading Jeff, you know, he kind of reading, I think I bring him up a lot. More so because when I first was getting back into comics, I think one of the things that excited me is I felt like there would be a place for me because I feel like every one of his books is a little different, right? Like he'll, he'll do stuff that's like completely nonfiction published by a Canadian book publisher, right? That's like liter like really meant to be a literary book. And then he'll have like, uh, you know, like Black Hammer and then he'll have Gideon Falls. And I'm like, they're all, those are really different. different. Yeah, or un Underwater Welder is one of my favorites. Oh, Underwater Welder is fantastic. And so I think that just kind of made for me, I was like, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't have to write the X-Men. I love the X-Men growing up. So that's not a knock on them. But I was like, oh, there's a lot of different things I want to explore. And that would be cool in this genre and a lot of chances I want to take. And it kind of opened up for me like, oh, I'll just find an artist and kind of tailor a book for the artist that I'm kind of obsessed with. Like that's how Hayden and Caitlin kind of happened from Hayden Sherman who draws the few and thumbs and Caitlin who does coyotes. Um, so yeah. I, I have, I have lots of stuff to cover there, but I guess um, since we're on that, like you to me have done some like prolific books, especially in the comic world that people know. And I, to my knowledge, you're only published on image and aftershock. Is that right? Yeah. I did a short comic for Heavy Metal in their Megadeth issue. They did like a big book for Megadeth. So I did a short comic for that. But yeah, the only, the only publishers I've worked for is Image and Aftershock. So I, I feel like when somebody like yourself has notoriety, has like books that are like, are, are at least proven like literary. I don't know. I don't know the back end of sales, what they look like. For me, I'm, you always see those people eventually dip their toe in the big two. Um, there's definitely been some flirtations um, at times, you know, like I've, I've definitely talked to people at both of the big two at times. Um, it's always weird how much you can say or not. There was a point where I was talking with one of them about a really large project that just timing wise and otherwise, unfortunately didn't work out. I think everybody was really excited about it, but like, I do think with, with them, like there's a different machinery. I think I'm learning that actually is there's a different machinery and like they have plans that are like a year, two year, three years out. And it's really like a lot of it, I think, is timing. Like, do you have the right pitch at the right time plus the right window to fit in, right? To be able to say like, yeah, I'm midway through thumbs, but I think it'll be done at this point. And then I'll be able to pivot and give you all the material you need by then. And for that, sometimes it's like, oh, we need it like literally in like two weeks. And you're like, oh, oh, I, I don't think I'll do anyone a service by trying to pretend I can do that. Um, I mean, it's not a thing, it's not a thing I'm against. I love, I mean, my love is that image. They, 
I'm a pretty loyal guy for one. I grew up reading Image as part of it. Like I remember when, when it happened and how exciting that was and how young I was and buying all those books. Eric's also like, I consider Eric Stevenson a friend and an amazing mentor and just like, he's just a cool dude. Like I just dig the way he approaches work. Um, but that being said, there's some people I love at DC and Marvel that are also awesome dudes. There's also like, there's also just weird like things, um, you know, like um, just how that comes about. So like, yeah, I, I mean, those would definitely be things that I would be, I don't know. It's not impossible. It's not to say I wouldn't work at the big two as it goes forward. I mean, I think if the right and exciting thing comes together for both me and the publisher, you know, that then, yeah, I mean, there's certain, yeah, I think that's the, which is hard because you're both looking, you're both looking for perfect time to go like, Oh no, that is a book that I think I would kill. And I would have a lot of fun with. And they're going like, well, that just happens to be a book that we're going to be pushing in a couple of months. And yeah, kind of I, I guess that. I asked the question less as a comic fan and more of like an adult who knows how, how finances work or has a, <laughs> a moderate understanding of it. And like, I hear from like, you know, Cullen Bunn or, or Scotty Young when I've heard him do interviews that it's like Marvel pays the bills and they're good to them. Um, and then they get to do their cool shit, but like their cool shit doesn't, Oh, I see. I can, I can definitely answer to that. I mean, part of it is I do a lot of different things. Yes. Um, and that's what, that's so fascinating about you, I think. Yeah. I mean, well, part of it is, you know, um, I've worked, so I work a lot in theater. I work a little bit in film and TV and that grows every year. I've done some radio and then I do comics and I also teach. So I, I teach um, comic book writing and filmmaking at Skidmore college up in the, up in Saratoga Springs, New York. So that, that is, um, I, I make some decent, I make money doing that. And it's also, it's a pretty great gig. They're, they work with me very much. And it's very flexible and open. So I, I teach on like Mondays, like I, all my classes are on a week on one day. So I have the rest of the week to work. Um, part of that is like, I, I had a guy I worked with as an actor who, uh, when I was doing theater, cause theater, as people know, none of the things I mentioned are things that lots of people make really great livings at. So I remember I was, I was out with him at a bar. We were doing a Shakespeare show on a Shakespeare festival in upstate New York. And, um, and he drove this amazing car. It was this guy, Mark, that I knew. And, he, and I was just like, how are you an actor? Like, we're getting paid the same. We're both equity actors. Like, I, you're only making a couple of hundred dollars a week with me. How do you have a Mercedes Benz? Like, I'm just confused by it. And, um, and he was great. He was just really upfront. He was like, oh, Sean, 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 you got to treat yourself like, uh, like you're the hedge fund and just like diversify everything you can. So he's like, I'm a professor full-time here. I do directing at this theater twice a year. I write some children's plays that no one knows about that I just publish through this, this place. And every time they get done at like high schools and middle schools, I make money doing that. And so he just kind of explained for me, like, not that I, I do what he does, but it, I was just like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's the balance of like stretching yourself too thin, but it also opened up for me like, well, maybe chase a bunch of the things you enjoy. And if they start to return checks, maybe you can cobble it all together. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're doing it great. Like you're making all the side hustles into one conglomerate hustle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I have one basic skill, which is in all of the forms I've been pretty good at, at telling story and, and how story operates. Um, and so that's the one thing that kind of ties them all together, right? Like it's the one thing I can, when I'm, when I'm talking to a radio show or I'm a, approaching a directing job, I can say like, 
here, here's the story. And I know that implicitly, and I know that this is how it's going to operate and what you're going to get at the end of it. Yeah. I mean, so this next question actually makes a lot more sense, um, knowing what you teach. Um, but as I was going through like all your books and just kind of pulling stuff out, I was like, every single book has a description where it's meets something. So Saints is Dexter meets Preacher. The Few is Mad Max meets Station Eleven. Coyotes is Kill Bill meets The Howling. Thumbs is Social Network meets Blade Runner. Bliss, you even describe on the little intro where it's American Gods make, meets Breaking Bad. Even your Aftershock books all have that. Do you do you write those? Yeah, that's all stolen from Brian Vaughn. Like to, to give full credit, you know, when I first, I, I probably bothered Eric like crazy because when we first got Saints up at Image, I was also really nervous because I, once we got the gig, the totality of it kind of hit me where I was like, oh shit, I'm just some asshole in Iowa who does plays. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And also because like Image is more of a, it's kind of like a collective, right? Like you're doing your own marketing for, you know, like they're helping, but it's, it is very much truly creator driven on all ends. It's going to live or die by you. And so I would just constantly send emails and, and finally he just like, they sent me the, the, the original write-up for Saga. And the way that Brian did it was, it's this, I don't remember what the comparison was, but it was, it's this meets this. And it just kind of hit me because I was like, oh, I feel like I know what the book is. Like it's, it's visceral in every single one of them. I was like, yep. And I want to read that. Like it's effective. I, I think it's if if you're honest, if you're actually being truthful about the comparisons, then it then it really works because it does give a sense. Also, it made more sense to me when I saw what Brian was doing, because what I've what I was wrestling with a lot is I'm like, oh, these books are all kind of in between genre, which can be really frustrating for marketing. Right. Like Saints is a really weird fucking book. Like, like it's exactly what we wanted to make. But I'm like, at times it's like Kevin Smith's dogma. And then at other times it's like angels in America, but it also has elements of like there's serial killings in it. Like, what is this book? And I was like, well, unless I'm able to describe them against each other, it's hard to get a sense of like, it's going to be kind of funny and weird. And the art is kind of cartoonish, but people will have their head cut off literally. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I like, I wouldn't have brought it up if I didn't think it was effective, but I was like, this is Sean making these though. Like, so he, in his mind, he's like, first of all, you're, you're a media omnivore. Like you're consuming all of this and being able to regurgitate it, but you're an effective marketer. Yeah. Theater teaches you that. Like no one wants to go see a play. Like it's, it's like maybe on Broadway, like people will be like, I saw Hamilton. Like, yes, people will go see Hamilton. But like when you're doing plays in smaller cities and people have never heard of it, it's so like, I used to do fringe festivals and that's like, you're, it's the, I'm not a natural extrovert. And that's where like, you're literally walking around parks, like handing out flyers. And so the, I think you do kind of learn very quickly. Like I have to encapsulate everything you're going to see in like 10 seconds and get you excited. Excited enough to not throw my flyer on the ground right in front of me, basically. That, so I, I think, mean, one, one of my questions was going to be like, this is, this is just a, a little bit embarrassing, but I'll just tell you anyway, is I was like, I love fucking love your work. Like it, it's amazing. I am. I love almost every art form. Theater is one that just doesn't get me. Oh, I and, don't blame. You. And I'm just like, <laughs> but you do it. I mean, like, and but sell me on it. Even what you just said about it, I was like, huh, maybe maybe it is punk rock enough for me to like it. Well, I'll say this: at 
at its best, theater can be really punk rock. I think very often it's not done that way, which is really frustrating. Um, meaning, you know, I get all the time when people don't like theater. Like I never had a problem with that. And I think sometimes when I would market shows as a playwright and an actor and a director, sometimes I would get people to come to theater just by acknowledging that of like, people be like, I'm not a theater person. I'm like, I get it. I, I totally understand why you would not want to go see it. Cause it feels one, it can, when it's bad, it's worse than anything else, right? Like you, there's nothing worse than bad theater except for maybe bad improv, which is theater. <laughs> I used to have a friend who like to drive me nuts. He would send me photos of people doing improv comedy and it would just, just the pictures would make me mad. <laughs> but but good, good or great improv can be really fun. Um, I think it's just that a lot of the stories are often done. Not only the stories are unrelatable, like it'll be a lot about like 40 year old white people who live in the Hamptons. And it's just like, I do not fucking care. Um, like I can't, I just can't get myself excited about that. I mean, it's just the matters of what you're interested in. Me, I was always interested in like, I don't want to set, like I want this thing to feel more like a concert. I, I want it to be, I'm more interested in being visceral than well staged. Like, when you're in theater school, there's a lot of teaching you to like turn out and like, I, I'm sorry if this is boring for other people. Yeah. Just like a lot of like, well, you have to be seen at all times and it creates this movement. That's just not realistic. Um, where I, I just was really interested in like some of the most heartbreaking moments in my life are like having a girl break up with me and she's still talking to me as she's walking away and I can't hear everything. And so there's parts of me when I direct or wrote things that I'd be like, I want to see that on stage. I want to experience it the way that I experienced it. So, I mean, I don't know. If you don't like theater, I don't know that I can win you over. No, um, I mean, it, it, it does. It, <laughs> in some ways, I mean, it, your books are uniquely you. And I, I mean, the question, if I'm like, I, I don't even want to ask it. It's like, does theater make you a good comic book writer? It's like, yes, it, it has to, right? I mean. Telling stories makes you a better storyteller, like in general. I mean, um, I've learned a lot because comics is a really different form than I first expected. I think when I first went in, I was like, oh, this should be actually kind of easy because there's a lot of dialogue and comic books use staging, right? Like you're kind of explaining, you're kind of articulating to the artist um, where in space people move, you know? But I, what they actually were the best for me, what I, and the feedback I get from my artists a lot of time are, um, Theater is all about collaboration, which is often just shutting the fuck up and letting people who are better than you be better than you. Like, it's the hardest thing for theater artists to learn, but it's, it's really what the greatest ones figure out fast, is that you're like, I have a great actor. Instead of trying to force you to say what I wrote on the page, let's actually kind of work together and see, like, what is the most truthful thing that you could say right now? And the way that's operated is when I find a really good artist, and I've been lucky, I've I've really, I've worked most intensively with three people, right? Like Ben Mackey on Saints, um, Caitlin on, Caitlin Yarsky on Coyotes and now Bliss, and then Hayden on uh, Thumbs and The Few. Completely different people and approach their work completely differently. What theater taught me how to do is go, you're better at a, a bunch of these things than I am, right? Like in visual storytelling. So instead of me trying to dictate shit to you, and like getting a worse product, I'm, I'm, how can I make you more free? Like that's kind of how the conversations with each of them have always started is like, a lot of times they're creepy because I found them on Facebook, like with Caitlin and Hayden. I'm like, hey, I'm some strange dude who had a book you never heard about on Image. I'd like to work with you. Um, but the, what I think won them over a lot of times is me going like, how do we make you more free from the get-go? 
So I, that you took one of the questions directly out of my mouth because I love Hayden Sherman. Um, and we, we both went to RISD. Um, so I, I feel like I have that like appreciation, not that that connects anybody just because you went to a school together. Um, but, you know, all of his work, if you review it anywhere and you look into the comics or comments or anybody reviews it, you're always going to get somebody say saying that that artwork isn't for me. And first of all, fuck those people. But like his 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 artwork is so stylized and so exciting to me. But it's also very dominating. Like it it takes over the story. You have to be a person that can collaborate to do like a, a book that looks the way Thumbs does. Oh yeah. I mean, I think without question, Hayden's amazing. Like, I think people who say that about him, I think either, I don't think that they spend enough time to understand what they're, well, that sounds condescending. Like, whatever. Some people don't like what I write either. Some people just don't like it. That's fine. But I think the people who do, there's just so many layers to what he is doing. Like, I think he's going to be a dude who, he's going to be the velvet underground, I think, of comic book artists in the sense of like, People who dig, there's going to be a lot of artists who are heavily, I think, influenced by what Hayden's doing. Um, you know, the thing that got me, like, he's got this really cool, like, sort of early Frank Miller style when you first look at his work. It's kind of sketchy and fast. But the thing that hooked me when I saw some of his samples, he, I found him just on this completely abandoned comic book submission page on Facebook. Like, thousands of things. I was just scrolling through looking for an artist. And the big thing is that, like, and I think this goes with what you're saying with dominating is he, his paneling and his understanding of not only design, but comic books is so advanced that like, he kind of can create motion in the book. Like, as I, like I was looking at his images and I'm like, I feel speed, which is insane because it's still like, I, it's a two dimensional image, you know, panel by panel, but I'm, I'm literally feeling like propulsion. Um, and that's when I was like, oh, I got to work with this guy because he's he's great. So, yeah, I mean, in Thumbs, especially being the second time we worked together, you know, it was a lot of just like bouncing back and forth with him a lot of times. I'll write what's basically a short story, like not even page, not even like full page breakdowns. Sometimes, sometimes, but not really. We'll go back and forth over his thumbnails when he sends them in, but we'll kind of figure, we'll figure out both sides of that more together than as a a real dictating form. Cause also what would happen is like, I'd also sometimes see collaborations like Caitlin got hired to do a, a book like for a Kickstarter thing at one point and something like that happened with Hayden too. And they would both be like, yeah, I just don't like the pages I'm doing. And they'd show them to me and I'd be like, you're so much better than this. Like what the fuck is going on? Like, like I know you, and they, they knew it too. They were just like, it's just like, I don't think it's bad, but I'm not in love with it. And I was just like, Oh, you've, you've got a writer who just doesn't get, what you do, like he doesn't, whoever you're working with just doesn't seem to get how to really make it sing, which a lot of times is like the writer just has to, if they don't know how to design that page, they should shut up. <laughs> that was at least my thought a lot of times is like, well, and then like I have a designer friend that was like, I just picked up thumbs and I was like, oh, I'm going to interview Sean Lewis in a couple of weeks. And he was just like, it just grabbed me like the cover, oh, yeah. you know, and like, and the way that Hayden does he puts these particles all over like the face and stuff. And it almost looks like you should pick them off. And it's just like, it, it has texture to it. Absolutely. And he has a, it has a lot, like there's a ton of texture in the pages. His understanding of how to use the gray, like grayscales versus like color is like great. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, it's just fun. I mean, getting pages from him is, is always a joy. Um, 
And it's just so well thought out. I mean, he's young. He's been out of RISD for like two or three years. Like he was, when we were doing the few, he was still in school. Yeah, I, I looked that up. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was nuts. I think it was nuts for him because there was a lot of times where I think he was just writing. He's like, I'm losing my mind. Like I'm trying to graduate. And, I'm, and I have these deadlines from image that are making me want to cry. <laughs> oh, yeah. And RISD makes you want to cry. One thing like um, inadvertently um, during this period of time of COVID, um, I've read Severance and Wanderers, which are um, they're two books about apocalypse, but specifically about a biological apocalypse. Gotcha. And uh, the entire time I've been thinking like, whoa, oh. these these authors wrote this beforehand, like what do they think now? And what are their thoughts on the apocalypse? You being an apocalyptic author that you, you wrote the few, like, do you have thoughts? I mean, I got to write some happier fucking books. Forward. That's one big thought. Um, I mean, I mean, it's a big question. I mean, no, I mean, I don't think I'm smart enough that like I foresaw things. I think when we were doing the few living in Iowa, I just kind of, the, I mean that we, I wrote that in 2015 cause I guess it came out in 20, late 2016, early 2017. And the big thing for me was just in Iowa, I felt, and when I would go and I'm from New York originally, I would come and visit the, the mid, the rural city divide seemed massive and the blue red divide seemed massive. So that book just made a lot of sense to me. And there's a lot in that about like just ecological, people can't breathe the air. Like there's, there's ecological issues going going on um i mean i think this apocalypse is scarier right now because it's partially it's unseen but it's it's also a forced acceptance like a, like a really easy way to freak out my wife is if i turn to her and i'm like what what if they just keep pushing our 30 day thing back for like two years like like would we would everyone at some point just eventually go like no fuck that i'm doing whatever i want or would we find ourselves in two years going like It'll lift. It'll lift soon. <laughs> like, I just wonder about it because, like, it's pushed back consistently now. And even some of the things we've been told out here, like mainly around our kids' school, is like there was a point where we were told like they're going to go back on April fifteenth, and we were like, "There's no fucking way." And now it's coming like April thirtieth. And like when they said April fifteenth, there was actually moments where us and some of our friends on text chains would be like. Do you think that's even possible? None of us even acknowledge the April 30th one. Like we don't even talk about it because we're all like, no, nah, like there's no, there's no way. I assume he's not going back to school this year. <clears throat> like that's, that's just what I've accepted. And I'm like, so how far removed is that from me just accepting that I'm not going back to campus in fall and I'm not. And then like that camp, no one's ever going back to campus. <laughs> like, so I just wonder about that. Cause it's, it's this weird incremental thing where they're giving us, that sounds ominous with the day, but like, I don't know how else to put it where like we get just enough time for it to start to build a new routine and to feel slightly normal. But as it gets pushed back more and more, it's like, okay, I, I, I kind of have a way I now exist and live. But then I do get scared. Cause I'm like, who, who's to say it won't be 18 months. It won't be 20, 20. That is the answer I wanted, by the way, I wanted you to give me something that would blow my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. So, so thumbs, I'm, I'm a huge cyberpunk fan and, 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 and especially because the genre comments on future and technology in, in a futuristic way and things like that. What I 
love and what the podcast loved about Thumbs is that it seemed to be commenting about the future or technology, but not in a, oh, like the obvious, like social media is ruining your life or like technology is the bad guy. Like it, if you were just, but you, you have thoughts. I mean, Thumbs is about like living out these thoughts and and technology and things like that. In some ways it's about a lot more than that. But like, if you were going to pontificate, like what is like, what are your thoughts on technology and and the future and its impact? I mean, in the immediate, I mean, technology is really complicated for me because like, I don't have any, I don't have the career I have without it. So like to be like, so when we were starting to work on, I was like, to just be like technology is bad and social media is killing all of you seemed so disingenuous. Cause I'm like, I, I, I had done two books with Hayden before I ever met him in person. <laughs> like, like without email, no, I can't do any of this. Um, I think what scares me about technology and has for a long time, it isn't, it isn't social media or thinking it's, it's necessarily immediately bad. I think there's something weird about self curation. Like when you're able when you're able to, to dictate all of the information that you receive, there's something dangerous to me about that because it just like, it's impossible not to create an echo chamber. Like it'll be interesting coming out of this, right? Like everyone's so isolated that everyone now is completely living through technology. Like I teach all my classes right now through zoom. Like we're on zoom right now. Zoom stock must be insane at this point. Um, and like, I'm, it makes me wonder, cause I'm like, okay, I know like when we get out of this, how many colleges and how many businesses that have been using zoom now for the past two months, or if it's three months or six months, are going to go, why do we have a storefront? Like, why do we have a building? Why are we having, you know, we, we have this massive school and the only thing that costs us money right now are labor of, of faculty and our building upkeep. So could we ostensibly, I hope they're not listening to me because I don't want them to do this. Could, could we ostensibly get rid of the building? And if, if we don't have teachers coming to the building all the time, like we've been chipping away at, at tenure anyway, is it easier for us to then just go off and find an expert in the field who's going to do like a master class on it every semester for what's cheaper than paying health for this person? I think those things get kind of dubious, you know, like, um, I think also the tech, the tech messiah is a really scary concept. I mean, the main thing for me when I started that book is I just kept thinking like, how far away are we from like Bezos or Musk or, or obviously Zuckerberg's a, a, a corollary creating an army and just going like, I don't want to pay taxes. I'm going to build an island off California. Um, I'm going to, I'm bigger than it, right? Like I'm funding half your country right now. I am your mail service, right? Like if the USPS, like they're talking about how the postal service, it's, it's half a public entity and half a private entity. So like it can go bankrupt. And like, they've been talking about it with COVID of like, it could go bankrupt or they could go on strike, like the workers at, at some point. And if that happens, I'm like, oh, then all of the US mail is coming through FedEx, Amazon shipping and, um, and ups, right? Like, uh, and I'm like, that's kind of fascinating because we all depend on it. So like now that's completely privatized. I used to do theater in prisons a lot. Prisons for the most part are privatized. Like we've moved so heavily towards it. I'm getting a little off of your question, but I think like it, it makes me wonder like there's amazing opportunity, obviously. And I don't think any of this is stuff people don't think about on a regular basis. It's just confirmation. It's like, 
I can do this with you. I can do most of my work for all the things I do by email. Like that's an amazing thing that technology allows, but it also creates a heavy amount of isolation. And I think isolation literally makes people worse. Like I've never, like when you read about people who like shoot up schools, they're usually pretty self-isolating human beings, right? Cause you cause it allows you to dehumanize. It allows you to go that person over there. I mean, I think this is why Facebook just becomes like, like it went from being like, guys trying to find out if girls were single to like my aunt and my other and my mom basically threatening to firebomb each other's houses over like who they're voting for like and i think that's because the 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 interface allows dehumanization where i'm like i'm just sending words at you and i'm sending words back at you anyway this could go on i could go off on way too long a rant on Well, I think the big thing with that is like, you know, I, I, I always have trouble with stories that have a very definitive, like this is protagonist and antagonist. Some people read my work really love that about it. And I know it frustrates other people. I just, it's not the world I personally see. And I think the problem I have with it is like with tech, especially I'm like, we, do, we have this amazing thing, right? Like the internet, all the things, AI is coming. For one, none of these things are stopping. Right? Like no one's going immediately like, I'm not going to do internet anymore. Or like AI, it's on its way. It's going to be here. And so with me, I'm just like, oh, but like, are we actually thinking about it and being critical in a useful way so that we can get the best out of it for community and society? And I don't know about that. Like, I feel like most of the think pieces I read are clickbait that have to do like, is your child looking at the internet, making them into a sociopath? And you click on it and it's like 10 signs. And I'm like, no, I want actual, like, like true, like critical thought, like Ch Chomsky level, like, like, let's really talk about this and see, like, we know these things are coming. So how do we, how do we have it integrated in society in a way that it benefits all of us as opposed to making us more distrusting and angry at each other? Yes. That, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's really insightful. Um, I want to keep going on your, on your comics. Um, so coyotes in my notes, I have the word precious next to it because um, I, I do love it as an entity and anybody who has not read it should take, take the time um, to read it. it. It's one of the best first issues that I've ever read um, with jam packed action, but also like enfolding you in, into the story. Um, it, it is a comic book that really tackles the idea of patriarchy and, and masculinity um, while at the same time the word coyotes is coming from both the animal and then the occupation of somebody that would help um, get somebody over the border so it, it's also about borders um, and, and immigration in some ways it is in some ways one of the best well-writ woke books because there are a lot of like indie woke books that sometimes tilt the scale to too, you know what I mean to too much woke um, and they didn't do enough story. And, and I think that's, that there's a place for that, but you kept the balance. Um, like, I mean, having written a story that's, that is, that is so woke, like, I, I know that you probably don't want me to say that about your book, but it, it is. Um, what is that? I mean, do you, you don't consider yourself a person of color or, or are you? Person of color? No. Yeah. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to make sure. I didn't, didn't want to put an identity on you, but you're not, you're, you're, you're I'm, 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 Irish, Irish white. white. I'm, I'm so, so white, white. I'm basically translucent. <laughs> you're what? Uh, you're you're white, dude, and you're not a female. No, um, no, and no, you wrote no. a book about like 
female empowerment and, and you know i mean like how do you how do you arrive there and what's the feeling of that well so every i guess this is the thing which is why sometimes they go off on rants is like every time i write something and this isn't like how i think everyone should do it's just what's always been my approach is like when i was writing plays i don't write as many as i do now as i used to and, and then for comics is like it was always me trying to at the start, I feel like I'm always trying to explore something I don't actually have an answer for, which is scary because it means I don't usually have a full outline of like, where do I think this is going? Because I'm saying to myself, like, I'm going to try and ex- I'm going to try and actually figure out what I believe and think about this as I go through it. So, you know, like, um, so what that means is like when I'm doing a book like Coyotes, I'm like, OK, patriarchy, borders these are all things that I'm hearing about a lot and I'm seeing, you know, there's a lot of meatpacking plants in Iowa. So there would be ice raids and there would always be like levels of like, what do I think about this? Like there's people I know who I think are good people who are like, yeah, they, they like this is illegal and it's like, it's dangerous and it's raising these, it's creating these problems. And then I'm also like, but these are people who need to work and they're coming from really dangerous situations. So like, where am I on this? Um, so I think like for me, Primarily the toxic masculinity of it was what was interesting to me. I think like a problem I have with a lot of issues we have is like, we've, (sighs) sorry, you're getting really long answers today. Uh, No, I guess what scares me and I worry about at times, it's, it's really the concept of critical thought. Things like Twitter and Facebook make it really easy to, just kind of um, state something before you even have a full understanding of, of what you believe or know about it. And I think this is where people get into trouble about it. Like how many times do we see someone who is seen as an ally and then on Twitter, they say something and everybody looks at it and they're like, how could that possibly be what an ally, like you've presented yourself as an ally and I believed in you as an ally. And now you've said this uninformed thing and I'm, I'm very upset. And I'm like, it's not that those people shouldn't be upset. It's not that what that person said was right, but like, Toxic masculinity and patriarchy are a really interesting thing because I think like everyone, when you have situations where it's like everyone on the base level knows it's wrong, I think what ends up happening is this nefarious underbelly of it starts to creep up because no one wants to actually talk about it in a real way and go like, have I ever actually been toxic? Have, have I used masculinity in a bad way? Have I objectified women? What do I actually think about borders? Like, have I ever honestly looked at what I think about that? And I think for me, a lot of times I'm like, well, I think like there have been times where like I've probably been toxic, whether I meant to be or not, or looking back on behavior in the past. And so going, so I think that book was a lot of me just kind of going like, okay, if, if I'm working through this, if I immediately know who the heroes are and who the bad guys are, this book's boring as hell. Um, I also was like, this is a good way for me to learn about different levels of feminism that like, I think I pretend I pretended beforehand that I knew about, but I didn't. So looking at like, okay, the Duchess and her militancy is a different type of feminism than the Abuela, the Abuelas and like their, their approach to like how they approach, how they go through this. And then like the wolves were another part of that where it was kind of me kind of going like, I love... I don't know if I'm answering this well. It's a tricky, you know, it's a really tricky, it's a really tricky conversation I think everyone's really scared about. Like, 
I think this one particularly, like men and women are really, really tricky because sex being involved, right? Like that's, no matter what, that's the thing that really throws it off wildly is, is, is the approach to it, the expectations of it, the differing opinions of it, the fears of it, all of them founded. Um, but I think if it's the type of thing where I'll see people acknowledge all the time, like we live in a patriarchal society and a very toxic male society. And I'll see everyone, men and women agree with that, right? Whether in classrooms or online. And then the problem I personally have with it at times is I'm like, and it will not change until you actually acknowledge that, that even the men who are agreeing with this acknowledge the patriarchy of their own behavior, not just of men. I think it gets very easy for other men to go like, yes, I see his patriarchy and that patriarchy is bad. And I'm like, nah, man, that's not the thing. That's not the thing that changes it. The thing that changes you go, I did some shit, right? Like there's a time where I, like I was with a group of my friends and I referred to a woman in a way that I probably shouldn't have years ago or, or recently or whenever, <laughs> you know, or like, or there's times where like, oh, I didn't even think about how when I, I, you know, even little things like on the subway, like, like the concept of man spreading, like times where you just kind of sit down and you're like, I'm physically taking up space, but I'm just not even considering it. So like, I guess for me, like that book was a lot of me just going like, how do I get into the head of the guys? Like coffee, I loved writing, who's the police officer. Cause I'm like, in any other book, this guy solves everything. Like I just kept thinking of him as like a Frank Miller cop where I'm like, he should show up and completely solve the day. And what is it to now? And this is something I'm learning, right? What is it to now be the, like the white guy who's normally the hero in the movie who shows up and everyone's like, not needed. You, and like, instead of fighting it and going like, no, trust me, I really can help. Cause I'm that type of person. I'm a person who's like, no, I want to help. Just let me help. And then you start realizing like, oh, my patriarchy is actually me not letting you take care of your own shit. <laughs> What's so awesome about you saying that is one of my questions was like, what do you say to somebody that like says coffee got in the way of red, of red just being like the heroine, but like you're saying like, you know, coffee wasn't the hero, like coffee wasn't like. Or that's a failure of it. I mean, he, the, the con, the conception of coffee was always like, if I dropped a Frank Miller hero in this world, what happens when he realizes how you, what is it to, to be the most to believe you're the most useful person and then realize you're the least. That you can't solve anything and that you're constantly in the way of everybody. And then the, the flip of that was just trying to figure out like how the Duchess and all, eventually Olive, who's in the second arc, and Red. And Red, who's trying to figure out, I mean, she's much more me. She's trying to figure out like, what do I believe? Like, do I think the Duchess and her militant way is correct? Do I like coffee? Should I like coffee? What about the grandmothers? What about Olive? And, and trying to become who you are at that time. And, you know, for me, it was a lot of just like, you know, the Catholicism, as lapsed as I am, seems to never go away. Like a big push of that book is forgiveness. A big push of all the books is forgiveness, honestly. Like Saints the Few um, and, and Coyotes, especially, like that's a an ongoing theme, you know, like... Um, so like there, there is this con like there's the whole thing in the second arc of coyotes where these men are they they have to come forth and say like what they did and olive and her troop of women are kind of deciding like okay you've admitted it you did a really horrible thing you're going to wear this outfit as kind of like a scarlet letter and you're gonna you're gonna be part of our society and we'll see how that operates which is it's actually something they did in rwanda post-genocide so it, it was kind of a concept that i was really fascinated with by by there 
And I was like, oh, how would that work in, in this world where they have to cohabitate or, or else kill? Like they, they either have to completely exclude or cohabitate. So how do you operate that? Um, sorry, I'm going into no, a I lot love of it. I mean, I, I was going to save this to the end to kind of talk about some future projects, but we're on coyotes now, like, which we mentioned at the top got optioned. Like it, I know I, roughly how these things work, so you can't say much, but like, is, <laughs> is there anything to like, are you involved? Do they have a director? Like anything like that? I'm involved. We have, um, we have a couple of executive producers who are, really kind of mind-blowing <laughs> um like I, I was really shocked when their names came up and and it makes it really exciting um and yeah it's just actively i'm learning how long even when everything is i won't say perfect but when everything's lined up in a good way how long even that it takes and especially with what's going on now everything is just completely stalled but uh yeah, it's a, I mean, I'm excited. You know, all of this stuff is like a lottery ticket crapshoot. So like I am involved, um, like I'm, in, I'm connected to it as a, as a producer and I'm working directly with people on it, um, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that part's been great. And um, so, yeah, I, I have good hopes for it. I mean, well, hopefully something happens with it. <laughs> that's the other thing that I think like, I didn't even know before I did this podcast. Like I kind of assume you get an option that's your ticket and it's like no like you get an option and then maybe it gets made yeah it, like i really mean it when i say it's a lottery ticket there's also there's so many books that people don't realize that are optioned that are under option right now um yeah i mean it's nice it's a little extra money it's it's not a lot <laughs> i thought the same thing i was like oh i think the option money is going to be huge and then you hear it and you're like oh it's not really okay you're like um and then, and yeah, you're just kind of hoping um, that it 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 gets lucky. Honestly, that like same way we were talking about the big two, like DC and Marvel. It's this. It's very similar. Where you're like, there's so many projects out there, and you're just kind of hoping like it will need everything to line up right. And we're just kind of like with every person you add, you're going like, okay, we're impre- we're improving our chances to get it to line up. But we could get everybody, and it could still not be the right moment. So go, I I ebb back and forth from being really excited to just trying to forget about it <laughs> no i know well i'm i'm, I'm excited I, th- I think it's gonna be like kind of genre defining in some ways i love that like you compared to the howling and like you know let's see yeah i mean i think it could i do think like it could be a really amazing tv show especially with the people they've involved i'm like uh it's another one of those things where i'm like oh this is awesome because like they're gonna be able to do things with it that i just never conceived which I, which is actually exciting for me. I think I don't know if that's how it always works, but people, my my reps and the producers are always kind of shocked when they're like, "Well, it'll be a little different than the book," and I'm like, "I'm I'm, I'm assuming it'll be better. <laughs> like, like I'm hoping that it'll be better. Like I would hope every time it gets more money and more more focus in a bigger team that it will improve. But we'll see. All right. So this next question is a me question because when you go through your website, you go through like your theater stuff. And then you get to this section where it's like one person plays or like that that you've done. And and there's a lot of them. And for me as a person who I have a tiny bit of anxiety with with stuff or like this idea of like not necessarily speaking in public, but like being the director of something that's all me. I'm like, whoa, there's nothing more frightening to me than that. And you do this often and you do it in places or you did do it. Like, can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, that was the primary source of my income for at least 10 years, roughly. 
Um, I was actually supposed to do one at a big theater in, in Massachusetts this summer, but uh, got canceled with everything else. Um, yeah, I mean, part of it, you know, it came out originally from necessity. I, I had worked a good amount as an actor. I was starting to write plays and um, I really was trying to look for a vehicle I could create for myself. And I was also trying to create theater I wanted to see, kind of like what we were talking. So like the first solo show I wrote, I was at the same time, I was doing a lot of slam poetry at this place called the New York Poets Cafe in New York City. And I had all these poems and I was like, I think this would be cool. And I think my friends would actually see this because none of my friends saw theater. And I was a big, still am a really big hip hop fan. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll make this piece about our hometown, which is just this like shitty upstate New York place that, not, that people tend to not get out of. Um, and just based on the people I, we had grown up with. And I was like, oh, I'll write it all in rhyming verse. We'll have a rap song at the end of it. Like all the, all the fantasies of what I would want to see in a play. And I did it and it did pretty well. And then things, I just kept getting opportunities from that. Um, it's still terrifying. Like I, even now when I'm doing it, like I book the show, like the show gets booked and I'm always really excited. And then like two weeks beforehand, I'm just like home cursing and miserable because I'm, and I'm never being upfront about it. And then like my friends have to acknowledge, they're like, oh, I'll be like, I don't know why I'm so mad this week. And they're like, cause you're doing a solo show in a week. Like, like you're scared. I'm like, oh, right, right. That, that, that's still there. Um, it's just one of those things I think, you know, that it feels miserable the whole time until the lights start. And then it's like, okay, this feels comfortable. And like, you get the first laugh or the first moment you feel a true silence in the audience where you're like, oh, they're listening to me. I'm not making a fool of myself. We can, now we can just talk and do this. Um, what I love about it is that it's like, it's so absurdly intimate. Like for me, it's the, it, it's, it is the, it's some of the best experiences. Cause I would consider stand-up comedy like a, in its modern form a lot of the time, like as a, as theater. Like when I watch a lot of these Netflix specials, I'm like, this is kind of theater. There's some staging, they're using lights. Like uh, it's, it's not, people don't, there's not as many comedians who just tell jokes. So a lot of times it's like people acting out a story anyway. They're like, the guy was behind me and he was like, and, I, and you're like, this is a play. Um, so yeah, no, I, I just, there's something I always loved about doing it. And also just financially, it was great. Cause like, it's really cheap. So <laughs> it was, it was, it was a boon for my career because um, it's so funny. I started doing them right after the last big economic collapse. So like, like 2008 and a lot of theaters suddenly had to do programming and they had a lot less money from donors or whatever else. And solo shows were very attractive and I found myself getting hired a lot. Um, and it was good. It taught me a lot about theater. Like I had a lot of ideas of what theater was that quickly go away when you're the only person on stage, you can't blame anybody. <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. The you mentioned hip hop, and I was and I had this on here because just in like going through your back history and stuff, like I've seen you mention that you're a big fan of indie hip hop, and then like you have references to like metal or like classic indie rock stuff. Yeah, and that stuff a lot. <laughs> and I I love that. And I I have this like it's not a hypothesis. It's like an easy thing. Like when you're a nerd about something, you're easily a nerd about something else. And so many people that I know into indie comics, like even we're chatting on Instagram, it's like and then it just dips into us talking about like artists that we're listening to and like cool music and new music. And I don't think people realize how close together those are related. 
like i mean you as a music fan like I, I'm, I'm curious just like what are some of your like favorite albums or inspirations and things like that oh man it, cha- it changes like it changes because i think in that and i'm sure the same way there's always like the need and want for discovery right? so, like, it'll, it'll edge and shift you know like i've been listening to this like no dogs in space podcast and they've been doing this deep dive on iggy pop so i've been listening to like a lot of iggy pop lately um i mean long term like i mean lp and asap rock are like two of my biggest hip-hop obsessions um i love del the funky homo sapien especially like his weird projects that happened later like i love deltron um i mean hip-hop wise it's interesting i'm finding i'm realizing as i'm getting older i'm like oh all the hip-hop i'm interested in is like really sci-fi and anxiety based like i like mf doom i like asap i like lp I, I like Deltron, you know, like it's a lot of times I'm talking about like the world is like this weird, you know, um, you know uh, virtual reality that we're living in and there's drones and I like Cuddy a lot. I mean, I think in all with hip hop, especially, it, you know, what gets me a lot of times is the pro- the production. Like I like with LP, like what first got me before I started listening to his lyrics and like, oh, this is like old school bomb squad. Like who produced for Public Enemy, who I, I always, I loved Public Enemy when I was growing up, like weirdly obsessively for a, a white kid in upstate New York. I, I, I was like so into them. Yeah, I was the Wu-Tang kid in my middle school. So. Oh, Wu-Tang also. <laughs> I still remember when they first came out, like the, the cassette with the hand-drawn, like their singles when Protect Your Neck came out and the, a kid giving it to me in class and being like, I never heard anything that production-wise was so dirty. Right. The mix was just so dirty. And I'm like, what? They're not trying to sound like the radio at all. Like, no. I'm so confused by this. Um, I love. I still love punk, like, um, like feet, like LA punk, like Fear. I'm, I really dig. Um, I love. I, I like. I'll always get excited when the Buzzcocks come on. Um, but then I also like a lot of synth pop. From I shouldn't say synth pop, but like uh, sort of new wave. Like I love Joy Division. Certain bands that like so like. If LP, Joy Division, um, or like The Damned come on, I'm, I'm probably going to listen to the whole song, <laughs> like, like no matter what and no matter where I am. Um, I think a lot of times, like lyrically, if it tinges towards personal, a personal political mashup, that tends to be something I'm into. Um, and yeah, if there's something interesting going on with the music itself, whether it's the energy or the actual production, like... You know, one of the things I love about Joy Division is like the way they recorded their albums were insane. Like there's sometimes the drummer would be playing on the roof and they would record Ian Curtis in like in the bathroom and it creates this insane like ethereal experience where it sounds like there's a, it sounds like Ian is singing from another world, right? Like, like the way the vocal quality is coming in, I'm like, it sounds like a ghost is singing to me and that's exciting like it's just so weird to me and there's some actually there's some old school like phil specter stuff that i can get into like like old old pop because it has the same vocal quality like the because when they were also recording sometimes in their studios they'd have to come up with such weird shorthands that like there's times where you'll hear the backup singers and i'm like they sound like they're in a completely different planet than the lead it, not in a bad way it's just like it just sounds like the pat like it's very touchy feely for me to say, but it's like, it sounds like the past is singing. And then there's a lead singer who's who, who present. 
And I'm like, that's really cool to me. I think that's what I dug about hip hop also was like the sampling culture of it. I loved that stuff that would drive my stepbrothers crazy who were like big ACDC and Rockheads who were like, this isn't real music. They're just sampling stuff. But I was like, I think it's dope that like I'm hearing James Brown and Cool and Gang and now there's a Led Zeppelin riff and then like they're using an 808 pad that like is its own thing. And I, the mashup of it, the collage quality of it was, it, I still think is awesome. Oh, totally. And I am, I was like hesitating to ask that question, but I'm so glad that I did. That's like, that's an <laughs> I'm, epic. I mean, I'm, a, I'm obsessive with, uh, I wish I knew more about music. I, I like, I wish I could play an instrument. I'm just like a really, um, I just a really obsessive listener. Unfortunately, I'm basically an obsessive listener at this point to the things that I listen to. <laughs> I haven't found a lot of new stuff in a while, which is bumming me out, but. It, it happens. I mean, it's like, it's at some point, like I think that discovery is hard. It takes work. And when you have other things, it's like, why? Because the endorphins I get from these things already feed me. Right. I mean, I do think also, I mean, I guess what sometimes bums me out is the things I do take the time to discover are old, which makes me feel old. Is that there are things that I'm like, oh, I miss that. Like I never listened to the Stooges. So like, I guess I'll spend this week listening to the Stooges where I'm like, I, I, shouldn't I be trying to find like the next death grips? But I'm like, nah, I'm just going to listen to the Stooges. No. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, and that's comic books, right? Every comic book you've read has been somebody else's favorite comic book and it's okay. Um, for, I mean, I guess for multitudes, I went down a really deep, like Walter Simonson, um, wormhole lately. I got really obsessed with his art and his Thor and fantastic four runs and which then, you know, how that goes, you start bouncing to other writers and artists and, and things like that, where I, I feel bad. Sometimes on Pax, I get asked like, what are the, I don't feel like I'm reading enough new books. It's at, at all. Um, but for a different reason, I, I just, I find myself reading a lot of like Alan Moore Swamp Thing and like Miller's Ronin. And um, it's funny because I've been teaching a, a comic writing class this semester. So picking, having to pick what they were going to read, man, that was the hardest thing ever. And I don't think I did it right. <laughs> um, let's, let's like not keep you too long, but I, I want to get into bliss as we like leave and like new projects and stuff. Um, so, uh, so one, give like, give us the elevator pitch on bliss and then like, and hopefully it comes out in June, I guess. Hopefully. I mean, I, I, I haven't gotten any word differently, but I, I, who knows? Like everything's crazy. Um, bliss is, I mean, I, yeah, I think the, uh, American gods meets <laughs> breaking bad with touches of eternal sunshine and the spotless mind is probably like the best, uh, description of it. <clears throat> basically it's about this city that um, everyone is addicted to this drug that's called bliss and it makes their bad memories go away. Um, and there's a guy, our main character has a son who's sick. He's really poor. He can't figure out how to make money for him. And he meets the people who are creating the drug and they're like, well, you could be our hitman. We need somebody to do this. The thing is the people that hire him are like demigods who work for the goddess Lith, who's the goddess of oblivion. In, in mythology, um, the, the river left is like where if your head submerges in it, you lose all your memories. And so basically what's happening is when people take bliss, it's making, they'll like cry. Um, they'll have like some kind of, a, a, so like if they cry after they have bliss, which is a common effect, when the water hits the ground, it floats back, it gets back into the pavement and it floats back down to left and left now controls that memory. Um, so 
this guy becomes a hitman, and the only way that he can live with himself is to start taking the drug as well. And so we jump between two timelines where it's him taking the drug to save his son's life, and then his son in the future in a courtroom basically fighting for his father's life for the things that he's done to this community and, and puts them between it. So it, it has this large mythical God structure to it. But at, at the core, it's really about a son who's, who, who had a really horrible person as a dad and is trying to figure out how do I, how do I rectify that? I mean, I love that. That's very Lemire. Yeah, I guess so. A lot of, yeah, actually, it, it does have elements of it. No, that, um, that, that's awesome. I mean, just it sounds like such another solid book, and it's it's cool you're going with image again. Yeah, I, I would never go if I if it was up to me. They would I would put out six books a year through it. <laughs> like, um, like I love working with them, and I gotta say, anybody who liked Kate's work on Coyotes, Coyotes was Kate's first comic book. The stuff she's doing in Bliss is unreal. She like, she's amazing. Honestly, her, her work is, is, is so good. You guys complement each other so well. So I'm excited for that. Her work is, is fantastic. It's so good. Do you have any other projects you want to plug or talk about or anything like that? Hayden and I are working on our third book. Um, we're about two, we're almost three issues in. We've got two full issues done. It's going to be a completely different genre and format than we've ever done before. So that'll be fun uh, for audiences, I think. We're having a really good time. It's definitely a comic. It's just, uh, you know, we've done these mega books. It's not going to be a mega book. It's not sci-fi. Um, it's very funny and dark. We're having a, we're having a very good time with it. Um, so we're super excited for that. Um, and then like, I'm working, I'm starting. Sure. It's called right now. It's called above snakes. No, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um, and then, yeah, right now I'm, I'm me and Ben Mackey are, going back and forth about literally as of today, I sent Ben a script today, which is a world we're looking at doing short comics, like web comics that are in a saints, like that are kind of like saints, but not saints. Meaning there's a lot of these weird stories from the Bible that I'm obsessed with that. I was just like, if I update these, what happens? So I sent him the first one today and, I think we're just calling it like Saints Universe because it's it, tonally it's going to be a lot like Saints was. Um, I'm really curious about like exploring. Part of it is just time. Ben has very little time. <laughs> like we've been we've been going back and forth for like two years trying to do a second volume of Saints that like a script is basically done and it's just been hard to get it all together. Um, we've really wanted to work with each other again, and then we were like, okay, what if? Part of it is just trying to figure out, like, where do you put a four-page comic? <laughs> like, what do you what do you do with it? Yeah. Um, like, we, we have fun making, like, we're having fun working on it, but, like, definitely besides, wrap it. I guess besides having, like, a zine that is exclusive to cons. Um, no, I think this is also just a way for me to trick Ben into working on more Saints. Like, like I, think myself, I think, honestly, by saying, Ben, it'll just be, like, two to four pages. It'll just, like, it'll be nothing. And on your own schedule. Thinking, and you guys like, met in college? No, Ben, all the people I work with are younger than me. Or you you met uh, in Iowa, I guess. Sorry. Okay. He was still in college. He was at the University of Iowa. He was about to graduate from the art program. Um, I was running a theater company and, and we just got connect. We got connected by a puppeteer. Yes. <laughs> That's the life I live. A puppeteer introduced me to him. He was this fascinating guy with a denim jacket with a drawing of Cerebus on the back. <laughs> and the rest is history. 
That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Sean, this has been great. I've, I've loved it. I mean, it's like, it's been so enjoyable. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've, we got to chat about everything I wanted to talk about. So this, is, this has been very fulfilling. Thanks for taking out uh, this Wednesday evening for yeah, us. Absolutely. Anytime. Cool. Um, well, that's it. So that's that's uh, been Sean Lewis. Um, check out his book, Bliss, and all of his other comic books are out and about. Um, now is the time to read them when you are home alone. <laughs> the interview was so much fun, and we, uh, we have a lot more of this kind of stuff planned. So um, you know the drill by now. Make sure you like us on all of our social medias. Um, rate and review us. It really helps us out. Um, and uh, join us next week for um, some awesome TKO books. So uh, stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>